This episode is brought to you by Morty, Rizova, Recon, and Patreon supporters like you. Supporting our sponsors supports our work. This year, we're hosting Recon, the Reality Escape Convention, virtually, so that we can bring our entire global community together. Our team has decided to alternate one year in person, one year virtual, and this year, we are doing it online. We had such a fantastic time at the first in-person Recon. And we wanted to make sure that our friends from around the world who maybe couldn't manage to come in person are still able to enjoy Recon with all of the variety of speakers and guests that we have. And that's exactly what we're doing. Recon has a variety of ticket types to meet your needs. And the basic ticket is free. No tricks. We want our global community at Recon, and we hope to see each and every one of you there August 19th and 20th, 2023. You can learn more at realityescapecon.com. Details in the show notes. Tickets are on sale now. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's guests are from Sydney, Australia. We're joined by our friends, Danny Siller and Bill Sunderland, the creators of the phenomenal Escape This podcast, among many other projects. Since 2017, they have been entertaining us with a brilliant blend of escape rooms with tabletop role-playing in podcast form. Welcome, Danny and Bill. I wanted to make a joke, but now I'm tearing up. I feel like I'm at the Oscars hearing the voiceover <laughs> talk about my things. <laughs> uh, well, we're glad to be here. Yeah, it does. It feels so special. It's such a slow and, and concerned introduction. <laughs> David has a very official, ponderous voice. (laughs) I have been called ponderous often. (laughs) This is amazing. We've both had the pleasure of being on your podcast way back in the day. And I was so nervous the first time I went on. Oh, so nervous. Oh, yeah. They're not easy and you're really put on the spot. Before we begin, let's just start with the basics. How do you describe Escape This Podcast? What is it? The classic explanation at the start of each of our episodes is that it's escape rooms mixed with tabletop role-playing. You can also describe them as audio-only escape rooms, although that stretches a little bit because we do often add a lot of pictures too and just say, just look at this at home. It started because we wanted to try exactly that. We wanted to do a podcast. We were just getting into escape rooms and we thought, is there a way to mix these two experiences. Is it fun to listen along to an escape room? We'd both been into tabletop role-playing. We winged it for a little test idea on that day. And we thought, look at this, this works. Like you enter the room, you do this, you do that. We like to say it's like tabletop role-playing games, but it's really a lot more like a text-based adventure. It does scratch the same itch, I feel, for people who back 30, 
40 years ago would play the completely imageless computer games where mm. just everything was the computer shows you text, you tell it what you want to do next and which direction you want to walk and it's that like, sort of thing. Like Zork with better puzzles. <laughs> Did they call them MUDs? MUDs? MUDs were multi-user dungeons. They were all text-based as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's two different branches there, but they are very <laughs> related. They're all kind of pre-graphic user interface gaming the good old days. But the thing that we are so happy about, that the consistent feedback we get from everybody who plays them, is that it feels like doing an escape room. Can confirm. It doesn't feel like some separate, weird side game that has escape room inspirations. It just feels like you're in an escape room, but you don't have to leave your house, so it's perfect. And there's no time limit. And you can't fail. No one ever fails, because that would be bad media for everyone listening along at home. And you don't need to wear pants. No pants. The best part. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Divulging all the secrets. To what PG was saying before about being nervous going on to your podcast, I remember especially the first time, even the second time, there's a certain (laughs) amount of pressure for us. Like people have expectations for us. You know, we're not Mm. some random other podcaster or internet person. We're like escape room people. We've got to represent. And of course, all that means is that I say, all right, which of my rooms is going to have the lowest success rate if I were going to judge it that way? Oh, this one, this one. Okay, that's for you. Yeah, we give you hard rooms. That's the problem that always happens to me (laughs) and David. We'll go on yours. We'll go on like infinite escape room. And they're always like, we tried to give you our hardest room. And David are like, don't do that. Like, stop doing that. At this point, I'm actually cool with it. Like, I'm fine with it. I'm comfortable with the format. I have figured out what my persona is in these (laughs) types of games. But the first few times, I was like, don't sound like an idiot. Because also, (laughs) especially when we didn't really know you, we were like, if we sound like morons, are they going to like leave that in there? Uh, yeah. Uh, fair. <laughs> yeah, we try to reassure guests when they come on the show. We say, look, everybody sounds smarter in the final edit than they do when they're recording. Is our classic thing we say to guests. Because some people do, in preparation for coming on the show, we have a guest every episode to play the rooms, generally. And so some of them are listening ahead. They're listening to some episodes to get an idea of what the show is, if they don't already listen. And they can get very intimidated, like, oh, your guests are so smart, they're so quick. They jump to these ants and I'm like, don't worry, they're not really. They're all dummies. We cut out the 10 minutes of them just staring silently at the puzzle. Sometimes you keep it in. If it's funny, you keep it in. If it's good for the flow, because we want to be earnest and real with what we keep in. You need some struggle. Yeah, we leave in struggle. We leave in the general shape of what people do. But sometimes we'll cut out things that are just boring. You cut out dead air and you cut out like a tangent that was interesting, but made it harder for the audience to follow along. Something they've got slightly wrong in their head is a common feeling. They'll be like, oh, that's right, because all of the desks had five legs in this room. We're like, what are you talking about? Like, no, 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 it's true, it's true. I pictured it that way in my head, so it must be true. And then they go on a five-leg tangent for 20 minutes. You're like, I don't know how this is happening. Please stop talking about these desk legs. (laughs) That will get cut because it confuses the audience. I think I've told you that before Lisa and I came on and Our first time on was the season finale of season two. I think it was episode 12. Yeah. Children of Mysaris. Yes. Lisa and I, because we are lunatics who manufacture homework for ourselves at every opportunity, (laughs) we split up every other episode. I think I listened to the odd episodes and Lisa listened to the even episodes. And then we both 
spent a substantial amount of time discussing and debating amongst ourselves what made for a good guest on Escape This Podcast. <laughs> and we made two rules for ourselves, what we felt differentiated between your guests for us. And it was that the strongest guests from our vantage point were ones who were competent at solving the puzzles and were entertaining while they were doing it. Mm. And that was what our goal was. And Lisa was a little bit self-conscious about being entertaining. And so it became, as is so often the role that I am in, I was the carnival barker. I was the pen to Lisa's teller. I was cracking jokes and drawing attention while she actually figured out how to solve the puzzle. And had to take notes, though, like... It's, can I tell you, it is so hard. I'm one of those people, I have to keep talking and no one will die, right? So like, (laughs) you know, got to keep talking. But now I'm I'm trying to be funny. I'm also trying to figure this out. And I'm trying to take meticulous notes. I misspelled everything, which is why I failed like all the puzzles that you gave me the first time I came on. (laughs) But (laughs) that part is hard, I think, to have to constantly be talking and doing the notes and trying to figure it out. We very rarely have a single guest come on, but we've just said, okay, no, that's just not something that we're going to do anymore because it helps players be able to ground themselves occasionally if they can take a moment while one or two other people are talking. Yeah, that's part of why we have them on at least in pairs because someone will go into like solvey mode, be like, hold on, I just need to look at this. I need to shut off my entertainment voice for a second. I should actually look at these numbers. So you need somebody else to do something while that's happening. That said, David, to my recollection of how that episode went, you did everything you were supposed to, both of you. Oh, yeah. We we killed it. And (laughs) we had had so much fun while we were doing it. And I am years later still constantly referencing back to the climactic moment in that game where I had found this prop very early on that you had made abundantly clear was a prop but in my mind i was just being an entertainer i was just taking this prop that was available in the scenery and i was doing silly things with it throughout the entire episode i did not realize that it was essential to the plot and that you were totally in control the entire time it was so perfect (laughs) it was such a delightful moment but yeah she's got a little tear in her eye You sent us a, what was it, a Christmas card or something that year and enclosed one of your notes with it. We still have that on our fridge. Yeah, that is Aww. true, actually. But this is the sort of stuff that happens a lot. It's very funny. We get a lot of guests on who are like, I'm going to do the silly thing. Bet you didn't see this coming. And you're like, it's in the notes. It's written down that you do the silly thing. That's how you solve the puzzle. You that thought you were thinking originally and Danny's puppet strings have been controlling you this whole time. She me. knew to, how to make an object tantalizing. She knew that you'd want to pick it up and play with it. You. Yeah, I did not realize that the giant teddy bear was the giant red button that was streaming push me. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's very funny. (laughs) That's one of the great things about our medium, because we're at a physical escape room. You wouldn't drag a giant teddy bear around with you for the entire rest of the room, would you? A lot of effort. Depends on the person. One one person would. (laughs) Yeah, true. So you've produced more than 250 episodes of Escape This Podcast. Have we? Not 250 rooms, though, because some of those episodes have little post-show discussions. But that's a lot of episodes. Thanks for the update. Oh, no, we're so old. Yeah, more than 250 episodes. It's impressive to say the least, because we're going to hit 50 in this season. 
Nice. We have a few questions about learning from and living with the format that you have created. So I'm wondering what makes for a good versus a bad escape this podcast puzzle? Ooh, interesting. Most puzzles are good, to be honest. There's a lot that you can squeeze into a room and it is perfectly fun. Like, it's hard to really construct something that is quite bad. There are some things that don't work in audio, but a lot of that is less about puzzle construction and more about searching and room construction. We were saying this, I think, on a Patreon bonus episode of ours just recently. We were talking about this idea of, like, we had just gone and done a room. It was great. There was this really fun searching puzzle that obviously in audio doesn't work because it requires you to notice and search. In audio, just like, I search that. Tell me what is there. And they're like, oh, everything. (laughs) Yeah, good. (laughs) So we sort of learned early on the kind of connections and puzzles that work. And I suppose one example of that we can't really do that a lot of physical escape rooms do is those things where it is a full object, but only once you've got a certain instruction from later, do you know exactly how you are supposed to search that object? Like the room Mm -hmm. we did very recently, a fireplace with a loose brick in it. We were not going to spot that loose brick until we had been told, you must find a loose brick. And then that's fun in a physical room, in an audio room. You can put that in, but not as much because that's not enjoyable. Like, I searched it better this time. Ah, you did better this time. (laughs) Search harder. But one of the big things that we talk about is there is a different form of searching in an escape room. And it's where a lot of the fun of the puzzles come from in the audio medium, which is keyword matching. Keyword matching is something that doesn't really exist in a physical room, but it's a beautiful way to do things in audio. So what does that mean? So it is when you are describing one thing, you want to describe it in a way where certain words, and ideally they don't stand out for the initial description. Like you're looking in the corner, there's a chair, it's about two feet high, you can stand on it. That sounds normal for a chair. And then later on, you'll mention something else. You'll be at the fireplace. You'll be like, so you're at the fireplace. There's a ridge across the top. It's about two feet high and you're walking through and people go, wait a minute, that ridge was two feet high and the chair was two feet high. Is there a, and then they try and jam them together. They're like, oh, the two feet high club. It's <laughs> cylindrical is a great word. Two <laughs> things being described as cylindrical. You're like, wait a minute. You That's don't... just odd enough yeah. that my brain has taken notice of it. And so you go, where have I heard cylindrical before? People don't use that word all that often. Yeah, right. So there's like an art to it to not make it stand out in any individual moment of description. But when you see mm. like these connections of, this is this type of a shape, this is this type of shape, or this is this thing, this is, and you find the key words in two separate descriptions or paragraphs. You go, wait a minute, there's a connection here. I've been looking for something spherical this whole time and I didn't even realize it. And then you go back and recombine or little things like that. It's like the audio version of searching. It's, did you notice? Very much so. In physical rooms, you can do that in a lot more visual ways. Like there are two things that need to be connected. So their backgrounds have the same color or the same pattern Mm. to them. And we can't do it that overtly. So we try to do it in the words. It's usually where a lot of the aha, like, wait a minute, I've heard that before. And these little sparks of connection that start a puzzle, connect two things, and then you figure out what the puzzle could be. It's a good rule of thumb as a technique. Are there any puzzle types that you would make back in season one that you wouldn't make now? In season one, at the absolute beginning of it, I was trying to some extent to feel like these are the puzzles that you would see in a physical escape room. I was trying to keep it Mm. authentic. I would throw an animal in there. That was as wacky as I would get. But the actual puzzles I tried to keep relatively 
static to escape rooms. So yes, very much so there are differences now. You can go with the standard, I was happy to put black lights in places. I'm still not unhappy <laughs> to put black lights. It's a lot easier in an audio room to just say, all right, I do a sweep with the light. Yeah. Which that does then make you question if it's that easy, yeah, why was how it much there? do like, I want it there? But it is a decent gatekeeping thing. The other thing we had early on was there were a few more puzzles that, like, because for you, you it was the first time you were designing puzzles. Mm. And there's a few more things that are less escape room and more book of puzzles kind of puzzles. Like, here's a little maths problem. Like, you've got two egg timers and one is set to seven minutes and one is set to three minutes. And you flip that and then you get this and you add it. And those are fun little puzzles to do that are difficult to make enjoyable for the listener, mm. right? Because it usually ends up sounding like this. Uh, so two, two, three, 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 four. <laughs> wait, no, five, six, hold on, hold on, wait. No, so five, six, seven, three, nine, six, two. <laughs> that's not good audio, right? People don't want because they can't follow along. So you, so I think we we strayed away from things that were a little bit too. I don't want to say cerebral. I want to say like ones that you just have to sit and do the maths. Yeah, or like having Morse code where people are just deciphering something. Like that's not that. Yes, yeah, you wouldn't do a Morse code puzzle because it does require a lot of like. Dun, dun, dun. Although actually, they can end up kind of fun if the puzzle to figure out the decoding. If there's a good moment to figure out the decoding, it's mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, it was Morse code the whole time because the little bees were actually circles. The you know the little bumblebees, those were representing circles, and the stems of the flowers are representing lines. Oh my gosh, I found it! And then while the players go. No, 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 no. A, dot, 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 what's this? D. The edit cuts that down to, so right. what do we have? A, D, F, G, and it sounds good, right? So actually, you'd think those wouldn't be as good, but if there's a nice moment to reveal what the process is going to be. Podcast magic. <laughs> In the editor we trust. So I wasn't sure at the start of this question where exactly my answer was going to go, <laughs> but the more that you've talked, the more I'm going with, no, I would do all of these puzzles again. I would just do them better. Yeah, slightly better. Right? <laughs> just do them, them. You'd remove the suck. <laughs> yeah, you just add a little element or you slightly alter something. And generally things can sound pretty good. It's been interesting that mostly it's a slight difference in approach to method as opposed to what you keep in. Okay, so we talked about what makes for a good versus like a bad puzzle. What are some of the hallmarks for a strong versus a weak setting for one of your games? There are no weak settings. All settings are strong. I <laughs> would argue you can make all settings strong, but for me, the only ones that I have rejected are the ones where I can't think of a story to put in them. I always start out by coming up with the settings and then I draw a little map of what it would look like, all the objects that would definitely have to be there. And then I don't come up with any puzzles or anything until I have just a one sentence, what is the plot of this room? Mm. And if I struggle at that, that is where the room dies. Mm. True. Interesting. We've written a whole bunch for anything from as interesting as ghost houses full of strange goings on. And, but we've also done plenty of boring things like you're in a bathroom. Don't be in the bathroom anymore. Right? Like <laughs> setting wise, there's no sort of room that as long as you have a nice story for it, as long as you can think of what would be happening here, you can set them anywhere, right? A lot of our stories, they don't have crazy stakes. Some of them do, right? We've done ones where, oh, cultists are trying to take over the town. That's high stakes. But we've also done, someone wanted to do a little like escape room proposal and it's not quite going right. Can you just help play through this escape room proposal? But as long as there are characters there, it's engaging and it's interesting. And one of the things I think we've discovered with our show 
is that we are much better set up to deliver narrative than a physical escape room because we have full control over the pace at which people deal with information. So no one can like notice a thing, but then run off to keep finishing a puzzle. Cause we're like, no, no, you have to stay in this moment while we read out the description. If we're talking about settings that I'm not crazy about, and this can apply to physical rooms as well, going too deep into magic tends to worry me mm. because the more magic you put in a room, the less easy it is for players to see the consequences of their actions. Uh, and yes. same with incredibly high sci-fi as well. Things could be just magically happening over one side of the room that feel like they have no connection to the thing that you were doing. And I like it when people feel like to even the smallest extent, they know what the result of their yeah. next action people, is going to be. You want people to be able to see the steps of the Rube Goldberg machine. Exactly. You want them to be able to be like, if I touch this, then this will hit this and this will happen because I know what a chair is and I know what a knife is and I know what a box is, so I understand what's going to happen. But when it's like, you take the scondibulator. I don't know, is that going to scondibulate something? That doesn't mean anything <laughs> to me. Like, it's good to... And I think mundane settings are often better because people... That's another element of this. Like room decor is a funny thing in, in the audio <laughs> medium, right? In a physical room, you have certain objects that are relevant, and then you also have the need to make the room look like something, right? Oh, it's a noir detective's office. Okay, well, I've got to have a desk that has to have a chair, but also I can't then only put the two relevant posters on the wall. I have to build out the wallpaper. I have to make this look. I have to put the lighting in. I have to, it's got to look and feel like you're in a noir detective's office. There's a lot of extra stuff that goes into that. And then it's like how much of this becomes relevant, how much of that is set dressing, yada, yada. But in our version, we only need to put in the necessary objects in our descriptions because when it is in this medium, people are already using their imagination. They fill out those things. Yeah, I've never needed to out. describe wallpaper unless it was an overt no. clue. People are already picturing you the wallpaper say, themselves. You say you're in a noir detective office and people go, Done. And immediately in their head, it's like, look at the wallpaper, look at the lighting, dingy lighting, it's coming in. You know, Eddie Valiant is sitting there and it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Great, I've got that image in my head. And then we go, there is X, Y, Z on the walls. And they go, great, I know that all of those objects are a thing to interact with, but all the rest is filled out by them. So when you have a setting that people know, when you have an archetypical setting, everyone knows what a bathroom looks like. Everyone knows what an office looks like. Everyone knows what a train looks like. People make their own little space in a much more engaging way. And it saves us money on decor because we just invent it in people's heads. We don't have to build any of it. We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing your escape rooms and other immersive social outings. And Morty is now available for all to use on its brand new web experience, in addition to its fantastic iPhone app. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. PG, what are your use cases for Morty? How have you integrated this into your life? So David, let me tell you something about myself. I'm an extremely lazy person, but I'll tell you the secret to being a lazy person <laughs> is being extremely 
efficient. And that means I always discover and use the most efficient apps possible to make my life easier. And that's what Morty does for me. My favorite part about Morty is that it helps me track all of the escape rooms that I've played and I don't even have to do it myself. My friends can track it for me. So when you play an escape room, any one of your team can just add you onto their tracked games and it will automatically show up in your account. So it's perfect for extremely lazy people like me and you still want to make sure you have all of your escape rooms logged. You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details are in the show notes. Danny, are you still creating pretty much every game that is appearing on the show unless they're created by a guest? Yeah, we've been pretty lazy about how many times we've just said, all right, I'm exhausted. Yes, yes. A lot of our fans do write rooms and then they come on and we get to play them. But other than that, Danny is writing every room. I'm still doing a good chunk. I don't know how many I've done so far, but it's still going. I'm about to hit the end of my second, uh, only second notebook doesn't sound like that much, but each room is only one to two pages. So two full notebooks is pretty chunky. We should do, every now and then we try and calculate exactly how many Danny has written. Um, I forget every time. At some point it was over 70, but that was a while ago. Mm. Do you think you've hit 100 yet? Surely not. Maybe you're you're probably around 100. Maybe hovering, maybe getting there. If only there was some kind of technology that you could use to list these things out and tabulate the that's crazy. (laughs) Absolute crazy talk. But no, that is still very much going. I still, at the front of this notebook, have lots of dot points of room settings that I haven't used yet. Some have been checked off, some haven't. I've got two on my phone just because I didn't have my notebook with me and I desperately had to get them written down, probably at 1 a.m. lying in bed. And I just grabbed my phone and went, no, I can't forget this in the morning. And so that's still loaded. I've got plenty of places still to go. And as long as I can come up with stories that fit in them, they will get made eventually. So how do you guys handle playtesting? I know Bill does playtest them. Are you the only one that playtests? That's pretty much Generally, it, yeah. that's true. Occasionally, some of our Patreon donors step in and help out a little bit. That's not as common. The vast majority of the rooms are just Bill doing their playtest. And he happens to be pretty trustworthy, I guess. But there's also, when you playtest these, when you make these, there are two elements that mean we don't need to playtest that much, right? We do one big playtest to make sure it's logically sound. Can't be like immediately broken. But the two elements are one, we have a curated guest list, right? A lot of escape yes. rooms, you've got to build for the people who've turned up as their first ever escape room. They're drunk. Well, we don't. We just build for the enthusiasts because we ask enthusiasts onto the show. So we can trust our players a lot more because we know who the players are going to be. So as long as the logic of the room isn't broken, we don't have to worry about what people are going to do. We don't have to do things that worry about whether props are going to fail or any of well, that sort of stuff that other, requires 100 playtests. This is the other element that audio escape rooms are far more robust in terms of being able to deal with change and the amount of control you have, right? Is someone going to pick up the chair and break it? No, because if they say, I pick up the chair and break it, we say, no, you don't. Put that chair back down. We have control over the universe. So either if something goes wrong, and we think, oh, no, something has gone wrong, we can change it. We very rarely do. We very rarely need to. But you can change the puzzles on the fly if you have to. 
the only existence of the puzzle is what we describe as the puzzle. There have on some occasions been episodes where mid-recording, the guests will come up with a solution that we didn't think of. And I'll just look at Billy and go, that's fair enough. You reckon that's good enough? You yeah. reckon we can take that? And But then also, if someone does something wrong, you can just say like, no, that doesn't work. And you get no new information from that. And they'll be like, as opposed to in a real room where they'll tear something up and then the piece of glue that's left on is arrow shaped and then they follow the arrow to a thing and then they follow the light and you're like, that's not relevant. As long as the logic of the design is sound and doesn't break and all the puzzles go from one to the other, it's a lot more robust. Now, I won't say that there aren't occasions where one more playtest could have fine-tuned things a little bit more, but risk versus reward in the end. Yeah, that's also true. And there are some occasions where you've done the playtest, you think you found a problem, and I have had to consider. A lot of the time, I will say, yeah, I see why that's a problem. Occasionally, I'll say, no, I reckon they're going to be fine at that one. Let's (laughs) find out. I think that's a you thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're just an idiot. Oh, damn. Have you ever had an episode go completely off the rails? Completely off the rails. I'm struggling to think of a time that's happened. No, look, we go sometimes a little bit off the rails. We talk sometimes people do go on these weird tangents that don't go anywhere or they run around being weird and like, hey, solve the puzzle. And you have to bring them back. But generally, no, like there is a lot of control from the context of the game master. Most of our players are very happy to play in that way. I don't think there's ever been one where we've been like, oh, no, what do we do? Can we even use this episode? (laughs) Like when David and I came on and there was that one puzzle and I was really stuck on like donuts and holes and like, and I was like, we're connecting these words like thematically, they have something in common. And it Mm. wasn't, it was literally about the word donut and it was like a word ladder is what we were doing. Yeah. There was a word ladder that you were trying to do as a thematic ladder. It was like, it was a series of clues that led to four letter words that could go into a word ladder. But this is the same thing, right? It's fun. And it's fun to hear people get it wrong before they get it right. If you mention, no, no, wait a minute, donut holes, donut holes, it's important. We'll keep in the first four of the 28 times you mentioned donut holes. We might call the episode Donut Holes. (laughs) People love it. Everyone at home is like, ah, it's the donut holes bit. But then they don't get the rest of of this donut hole struggle because they get the flavor of it. They get the feeling of what happened without the drudgery of being like, come on, stop talking about donut holes. I've solved it already. Who doesn't like the flavor of donut holes? Sometimes you just get stuck on something and like even in an escape room and you're like, oh, for sure, this is the solution. It has to be. (laughs) And we had the capacity at any point to be like, "Uh, PG, please stop talking about donut holes. You're wrong. (laughs) But we let it go because we trusted you to get to the end and get there. But if you'd gone really stuck and been like, we need help, if we were to give a hint to that point, it would have been like, you're thinking thematically, you've got to just reassess. Is there any other type of connection between? And you'd be like, okay, I'll sh- shut up about donut holes. Resova is your all-in-one, all-inclusive software for bookings made specifically with escape rooms in mind. Incorporating community-driven features, it's designed to follow the guest journey from selecting times to book, waiver management, integrated point of sale system, and follow-up emails. Resova is the ultimate online reservation software designed to elevate the guest experience, increase game master efficiency, drive sales, and improve operations. 
PG, what is fantastic about Rizova is that they offer something for the owners, something for the guests, and something for the GMs. What does Rizova offer GMs? I saw their calendar system and it was beautiful. It was simple. It's easy to use. When you're a GM, what you care about is increasing your efficiency. You're already juggling so many different things, welcoming customers, running games. You don't want to have to worry about handling a super complicated system. Their calendar view makes it very clear at a glance what times are booked, which slots are open, whether the team has already paid or not, and how many people it's booked for. They also have the integrated point of sale system, which just makes your job that much easier and that much more efficient. And with everything being so integrated, your game masters only have to be trained on one system. To learn more, get a free demo and find out how easy Rizova can make your transition to their technology, head over to Rizova.com REA and be sure to use our link or drop our name, because as a thank you to Repod listeners, Rizova is offering up to $100 in Google AdWords when you sign up through our link. Details in the show notes. Bill, your role while recording Escape This Podcast is pretty fluid. Yeah. How do you adjust your presence in a given recording session? Yeah, so obviously, like, Denny writes the rooms and runs them, right? She's the host, the game master. During the recordings, it is true, I have a weird role. Because I do a lot of the organizing of guests, I do the playtesting, I do all the editing, I do all the sort of behind-the-scenes stuff. I write, stuff. I write music for every episode, I do all of this sort of fun stuff. In the episode, sometimes my role is based on hinting, trying to get people across. A lot of the time it's there to just keep a certain level of energy during the recording. Some guests are very, very puzzle heavy and they're very demure when we finally get to the recording. And you think, oh, we got to get some bits here. So I'm there to, I'll be making jokes about stuff, doing character voices, bringing bits back in. Sometimes I don't need to do that at all. And my job ends up being like, no, hey, stop making bits, everybody, and get back to solving puzzles. Stop doing a thing. Get off my lawn. You're the flavor text. <laughs> exactly. I'm also there because like, I do all the editing and the stuff later, so I, I have a good ear for that. So sometimes there are moments that are capping, and I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, no, this is still fine for an edit. This is still good. This is Okay, this has now got to a point where this is not going to be good audio anymore, and I have to do this or change this up or ask someone to say something again. You are good at making this a podcast rather than just a game. Yeah, giving it the context and that mm. structure and making sure people are engaged in the process, moving right and saying the right things. And occasionally I'll be there to add a like, hey, so you were just talking about this. What was that? What was that about? What were you saying there? And they'll go, oh, and they'll get back into it, which Danny can do as well. But it's nice to have one person who's focused on, is the game going to run? And then another person who's focused on, is this an enjoyable audio experience? Mm -hmm. Danny's good cop. You're bad cop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Danny's good cop. I'm... Just a dude running around the police station going, look at me, hey, what's going on? But who happens to know exactly the ins and outs of how this police procedural oh, is supposed to go. undercover cop. They yeah. think I'm playing with them, but I'm really a cop. Bill, are you a cop? You have to tell me. At least that's what I've been told. No, I don't. That's a myth, but <laughs> it's a bit of corralling of the show as we go and making sure that the fun game turns into a fun podcast. Some of your seasons tell a single story over many episodes like season two, while others are a collection of one-off stories. 
What are the benefits and struggles of both options? Oh, I still, even now, say, I don't know how to make puzzles. I'm not a puzzle person. <laughs> I like telling stories. You've just done it 250 times. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> and I think I just like the variety. Some people are novel writers. Some people are whatever other kinds of writers there are. And it's good to try to vary it up in all of these are short stories and very simple stories. There's never going to be any complex plots or anything like that. But it is still nice to figure out the different ways that you can stretch these things and still make them meaningful, even if you have 10 episodes of the exact same thing going on. And then other times you want to see how much meaning you can cram into one hour. And they're both just fun experiments in that way. And then more recently, just last year, I started going exactly halfway in between. Maybe you can try just four or five episodes for a story and see how that feels. And it's very much just, do you do a three-act structure? And where does that get placed differently? And I worried about that a lot with the 10-chapter rooms. Does it still feel like every room is meaningful enough? Does it feel like everything has its highs and lows? If you're building up towards a big finale nine weeks from now, how do you make that mm. work? And it's definitely been challenging. The thing that you get from a connected arc, every second season generally we, we do Some escape form. rooms that, that stick together into a 10 or however many episode story. One of the benefits from like a listener perspective is you get cliffhangers. You get like <laughs> mystery that you don't usually get. It's something happens, then you, and you get out of the room and then oh my God, this thing happens. It's, oh, and then you find out what happens next episode. Next time on Escape This Podcast. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And right? again, something that you can rarely make work in a real world escape room because a lot of people just don't have that ability to go and do and 10 do, rooms and in quick succession. Next, listen to the next, right? It's hard to do. And so it's quite fun. And it means we can have more involved stories and more involved narratives. And when listeners like talk about story stuff, they'll often they'll talk about those connected arcs. They'll be like, they had a real emotional impact because there's more time to sit in the characters and learn and have that narrative. Weirdly, I almost think it's like a connected arc is better for the listeners because they get a long-term story to, to discuss and think about. They get mystery. They get a bit more emotional investment in the story that's being told. But it's a little bit worse for guests. Because the guests play <laughs> one room and it's like, okay, you're recording now, your room six out of 10, when none of them have been released, so you don't know what's going on. Let me give you the one, two, three beats of what's going to happen and what has happened already. And when it finishes, your room will finish. It's always a fully self-contained room, but the story won't finish. So we'll leave you on a cliffhanger and you're going to have to wait three months to hear the end of it because that's when the episodes are coming out. It's a slightly less enjoyable, I think, for the guests sometimes because they don't get that catharsis. I think I can confirm that. Yeah. <laughs> Having been on both sides of that, I do think that there's a little bit of a, as a guest, I'm like, but I, I want to know what happens next. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm. You want to know, but it's like, no, no, you know, it hasn't happened yet. We can't spoil it. And so for the guests, it's like a, a little bit, they're part of something bigger. So they don't get the full experience of a completely solid narrative within that recording space. And sometimes it's a bit harder for when we have guests on who have fans in other places who want to come listen to them. Sometimes it's a bit awkward for them to be like, listen to this room with this person on it. But it is room four out of seven. But hey, it'll be fine. Then you can listen to the rest. So I think there's like who it's good for changes. And yeah, I think being part of a connected arc is better for the listener than it is the guest. And being on a solid room is great for the guest. 
it's uh, but it's not quite as narratively engaging for the listener. So apparently it's really easy as you're going through this, not to find the positives of the two different variants, but, but just to look are. at the negatives. Like I'm worried <laughs> about the longer arcs being boring and dragging, and I'm worried about the single rooms being meaningless and not having any meaningful story to mm, them. Which is not true. A single room is an engaging story. Like I say, listeners often talk about our long rooms, but like people still talk about I think people like chickens. They talk about our second ever escape room. They talk about another room that we had where there was a chicken who stole eggs from other chickens. I think chickens is the real key to what is, sticks in people's okay, memory. Okay, this is good to know. Animal allies. Useful. Yeah. David and I had a Patreon bonus episode lately where we talked about what makes for fun play environments for children. All of which were good escape room practices, just like generally good. Everyone who makes good escape rooms are doing these things, but there was one thing that stood out. We need more animal allies. Need more animal. But yeah, so there are definitely some individual rooms, fully self-contained one episode rooms that have really struck a chord with audience members and they get talked about long term. And so I think it's just two different experiences and it's more than the longevity and the depth of character that you can get from a connected arc that you sometimes miss out on in individual rooms. But individual rooms have a nice snappy good story. I'll have to say, if it comes to which one do I enjoy writing the most, I really enjoyed writing those shorter arcs, a four or five room set. I found that great fun. I knew what story I wanted to tell and being able to figure out what locations fit, just four or five locations that could tell that story that swells in the places that I want it to. Mm. That was the most exciting one to come well, up maybe with. that's what we'll end up with going forward, more five-episode arcs. They're also definitely still a bit easier to describe to the guests what was going on, especially when we're doing things like parodying Willy Wonka. Yes, that makes that it pretty clear help. for guests what's going to roughly be going on. That was a good time. It's probably why the trilogy format is so popular. Fair. Yeah. Very fair. You've had this other format that we've alluded to earlier, which are episodes where guests write the games and lead you while you play through them. Some of those game masters include Room Escape artist, writer Sarah Wilson, and previous guest on this show, Tommy Houghton of Stash House. What is it like when you invert that format how is it for you definitely requires a lot of trust and again luckily we've curated our friends and our listeners and things so generally we've already got puzzle enthusiasts we've already got people who know what they're doing and people who are enthusiastic enough about our show that they've put a lot of work into what they've done yeah it is very rare that someone takes the effort to make a room without being the kind of person whose room you would like to play because you know those are the easiest sarah wilson's like great we're going to, this is going to be a great room. Tommy Honton writes a room. You're like, great. This is going to be a great room. I can tell you that's also how it is when Sarah reviews something for us. We're like, oh, that's <laughs> right. Sarah's just the better version of Lisa and me. She <laughs> writes in exactly our voice and she's so good. Can I tell you guys that when Tommy wrote a room for Escape This Podcast, he must have play tested this thing like 200 times. So I can't even don't imagine. Don't get me started talking about how Tommy Honton <laughs> play tests anything he makes. He's a freak. <laughs> He's just like, what I do is I make something that's the worst thing in the world, and then I playtest it 7,000 times. And, and it, it gets, gets incrementally better, better each time. Like, until what are you it's doing, good. Tommy? Yeah, until it's perfect. I was extremely resentful because we were trying to plan stuff, and he was like, I can't, I'm running playtests. Like, every yeah. weekend for a month solid. <laughs> we were the last people to play it. Yeah, well, That's a good position to be in. He ran it for us 
after he had recorded with you. He was like, one more time before retirement. <laughs> I can't let go. I don't know how he handles it. I just can't handle that much yeah, repetition. It's, it's so it's the opposite of, as we were saying before, we do like one playtest. We're like, that works next. But no, so like when we get something from someone who we know is an established game designer, it is easy. It's relaxing to be like, great, we're just going to play this and have a lot of fun. A lot of the times people who write rooms for us they're people who are fans of the show and they've never designed a room. They don't have any credentials to their names. Some of them haven't played an escape room in real life ever. They've only listened to the show. And so we organize the recording, we get it all ready, and we think, I hope it's good. I don't know these people. I don't know. I'm just going to trust. Worst case scenario, we'll not publish the episode. I mean, that's basically what we do with our episodes too. The worst case scenario is we set fire to the whole thing. Yeah, exactly, right? Worst case scenario, nothing changes. But we've never had to do that. And some of the rooms we've had from people who've never designed anything before, they'll design a room for us. We just think, this is phenomenal. Like, it's so enjoyable. It's so much fun. And sometimes that will happen, and then they'll come back multiple times. We've had three rooms done by Jen McTague. Um, really? I thought it was only two. Three rooms, definitely. At least three, I want to say. Wait, wait, hold on. Hold on, wait. Hold on, we've got to do some counting in our head here. We did the first, we did Eldritch Eldritch. Garden. We did. We have a couple's moments going on right now. We did, I swear we've done a third one. I don't know if we've done a third one. This is going to get No, we've definitely done a third one. I think we've done a third one. I'd have to check. I think we've had this conversation before and I think we've done. we're just going to leave it in. We've done multiple rooms with with Jen McTague and like when... Jen oh, comes the, back on. When the Weisses come on, oh, Scott Weiss ultimate trust has designed them. a lot for us and it's just great. We can relax and do another room that we really like. And sometimes someone for the first time writes a room and we're just like, this is phenomenal. Sometimes someone for the first time writes a room and we think, this is great fun. It's not quite phenomenal. There are a couple of super standouts, but in general, everyone writes lovely rooms and it's just nice to see a new person's voice at something that, for us, when we started, we were oh. the only people who'd ever done this, yeah. really. And after we started, you know, we got another podcast that sort of was doing the same sort of thing. During the pandemic, a lot of people started doing the same sort of thing because they had to shut down their physical spaces and people got into the audio virtual escape room world. But originally, we had someone write us a guest room at the end of our first season. We'd done 14 episodes, I think. What a long first season. We'd done 14 (laughs) rooms, having invented, for at least within our knowledge and our purview, like invented the entire structure, never seen anyone else do a game like this. And then someone's like, I've written one. Can I run it? We were so awestruck. We're like, oh, we don't even know this person. They're not even family or friends. They're just a fan. And it was great. We had so much fun doing that room. It, maybe if that one had been bad, we never would have done we it again. We would have shied away. But the, the fact <laughs> that the very first one was good means it's always really interesting. There's always fun new takes on the structure. We put out an episode very early on with Danny describing how she makes escape rooms and how she designs them. And a lot of people clearly are working from that structure. The most fun part is when people say, I listened to that episode and I looked at it and went, no, apparently I work completely differently. Yeah. That's Um, great. It's so wonderful. I end up after any guest season, pretty much after any guest episode, I have to go into a little curled up shell for a while and go, oh, these people are so good. I'm so (laughs) inferior. Where are they coming up with these ideas? And then I have to remind any of the half of them are your ideas regurgitated back at you. Um, and that's, I, I take solace in the fact that, yes, some of these people did spend months writing these things. That's the other thing, right? So a lot of these people are giving us, because when we're in the midst of a season, Danny's writing new rooms every two weeks. You've written so many. 
a lot of our guests are like, I've made one, I was writing it for 18 months. Talking about Tommy playtesting his room, playtesting nonstop for months. So, so we, of we course it get, had you know, stuff I was never going to come up with. So you, so sometimes we get these things where, yeah, guests have come on and they're like, I put my heart and my soul into this room. I've been making it for two years and here it is. We're like, nice, it's a great room. I'm too emotionally dead inside to put myself and my heart and soul into a room. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fun as well, right? And sometimes there are interesting twists. Sometimes people go wild with their rooms. They make these crazy time traveling turned versions of things. The third gen room is the meta room, the room within a room within a room within a room within a room. That's right. Oh, my God. (laughs) I told you we'd done three. (laughs) And that was a fantastic room. That was an escape room that had an escape room in it. Like you're doing an escape room and you go in through the lobby of your escape room into the lobby of another escape room, which is the lobby of a third escape room, which is also the lobby of a fourth escape room. (laughs) Like Russian dolls. (laughs) Levels and levels of escape room. That was a fantastic room. And that takes a lot of planning and a lot of design that we haven't done. Do you ever suffer from that content creator urge to burn it all down and do something (laughs) totally different? Like, how do you keep this fresh for yourselves? Part of our problem is that we just don't burn them down. Like, we started Solve This Murder (laughs) and have an entire separate show where we design Agatha Christie-style murder mysteries and one person knows what the mystery is and the other person has no idea and they act as a detective and try and solve it. Very, very difficult. That would have been easier if we'd burned down what we had and started a new thing. We just built a second house next door. This is what we do. Yeah, this is exactly what we do. Or we're like, let's just do another thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we just add new projects without getting rid of the old ones. I don't need to sleep ever. (laughs) Exactly. We do Um, have conversations occasionally where we say, in five years from now, will Escape This Podcast still be our big thing? Or will something have shifted? Yeah, will it be a thing at all? And we don't know. I think it helps to just take it like moment by moment. Season one, you had done like 10 rooms. You're like, oh, no, I think I'm going to run out of ideas for rooms. And then you've designed 80, 90 more since then. Not a huge problem. I don't think escape rooms actually have all that much risk because you can tell the same story in five different settings and it will still end up being different with different puzzles. Or you can have exactly the same setting with five different stories and Mm. that will change how everything feels as well. I mean, I'm sure if you went back and looked at our rooms and broke them down and analyzed them, we've probably done multiple rooms that have the exact same puzzles in them. Quite but, fun, but like fundamentally, right? But with different skinning and different flavoring. That's escape rooms, baby. Exactly, mm. right? <laughs> so it's easy as long as there's a fun story to tell. As long as there's something fun to do, it's, it's easy to just keep going. It's easy to just keep making more. It is very interesting, that point, because again, I like being a storyteller and it just so happens this is a nice medium for it. And I don't know when I will run out of stories. Mm. But that's also why the guest rooms help, right? True. We've now had entire seasons that are guest rooms and they're for the listeners, great, engaging, fun. For Danny, that's a break, right? If Danny's like, I'm doing so many escape rooms, I have to, I need six months off. It's like, well, here you go, here's six months off. Here's, you know, 13 rooms from guests because 13 fans have written rooms and said, hey, I want to run this. Like, great, that's a big backlog. I just want to make it clear to everyone at home, I do not take six months off work. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) I can do that. From the creative building of these things, like you can take that break and refresh our brain and change up the format of the show and be like, well, now we're guests for a season. And it's a very different feeling. So there's still a lot of stuff to do. And we haven't yet hit a point thinking like, oh, no, maybe we should shut this down. Maybe we should move on to something else. As It's still fresh and fun and new and different. I do worry. Again, like I said, when other guests come on and they've got these amazing, innovative things that I never would have thought of, I don't know how much I consider myself an out-of-the-box thinker. So I don't even know how capable I'd be of burning the whole thing down. (laughs) The most I've done is sat down and gone, should I be like coming up with political messages to really feel important? Should I change things up like that? <laughs> Completely change it. 
and we say this now, and it may be that in a year we're like, nah, I'm bored of escape rooms. But probably not. <laughs> probably you just got to take it moment by moment. And there's not yet been a moment where we've been like, I don't want to do this. It's always just, this is cool. I want to do more of this. It hasn't stopped being fun yet. That's great. When I saw that you had a season of having guest creators come on and you guys were playing the games instead, I was like, this is brilliant. This is a way to take a load off. <laughs> you need to do that sometimes. That's what David and I did with the Spoilers Club a little bit. Spoilers Club is content we produce where we do these recap walkthroughs of iconic real-life escape rooms. And in the beginning, before we had really nailed down the format, David and I were beating ourselves up, playing escape rooms, taking meticulous notes so that we would remember the flow of the entire game. And then eventually we were like, why don't we just have the creators come on? And <laughs> they know we the game, so us. they could just... Yeah, they can just walk us through it. And it became so much better because of that. And it's a lot less stressful for us. Not that we don't have to do any work. And now the episodes are loaded with all of this interesting information and insights that we could never possibly have about how the game has changed or what happens if you lose or mm. this crazy time. This team did this in the game. There's all sorts of different things that we get out of that format now that we were not getting in the beginning. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do you ever get resentful that there are big podcasts out there that just don't seem like they have to do as much work as you? <laughs> you get that. Yeah, why have we all chosen such difficult shows to make? We picked one of the harder formats we possibly could have picked for the level of production that we want to make for this show. We have a Patreon backer who had a question for you. Michael Anderson, the person behind ARGN, He's a delightful human being. He wants to know what brand or franchise would be your dream partner for a sponsored episode. What? Okay, I think about this occasionally because we do? don't not so much about what brand would be good, but we don't run ads on our show. I don't like running ads just on a personal level. I don't enjoy doing that, and I'm glad that we don't do it for our show. There was one season we did have some ads, and it was fine. It was fun, but it's not something that I want to continue doing. Now we're going to pause for an ad break. Yeah. Um, so we don't do that. But one of the things I've ever thought, if we wanted to have sponsorship, if we wanted to have anything that is in the shape of an ad, right? The idea of someone gives us money to have a product or a service appear. The only version of that I would enjoy is doing a themed room. I would do like... There are 17 different types of Doritos on the wall. And which one do you pull down? The closest we got to Spelling that. Spelling out Cool Ranch and putting it into a little... I was about to say the answer is always Cool Ranch. That is always the correct answer to any Dorito-related question. Yeah. The closest we got to that, which I think was last year when our friend Neil from the Triviality Podcast was releasing a book yes. about Patrick Swayze, and I was just having a beach-related room come up. And I went, hey, why don't I make this Point Break themed? Yeah, and then we can mention your book. And that sort of stuff is really fun because that's because you can be more subtle, you can have more fun with it, uh, and you can still make a, an engaging, fun narrative with just a little bit of like tug in cheek. This is all actually Patrick Swayze themed, so you should go buy a Patrick Swayze book. I think it's the most fun way if we were to engage with people to do that, and it's something that I would reach out to people at some point to be like, hey, do what should we do this? Or if someone, hey, if you listen to this and you want to reach out to us, that is something we're interested in. So, what would be a fun brand? Not Doritos. What would be a fun <laughs> brand that you would? actively want to engage. I don't know. What do I believe in? What do you believe in, Danny? Tell uh, me all the things you believe in. I don't know. It's interesting. There's nothing that we've thought of as an idea already in place of what that would be. Do you know what would be very cool? 
I would love to pair with people who are trying to advertise like a new game, like a new video game or something. Wouldn't it be fun to be like, oh, what if Nintendo reached fun. out and said like, oh, hey, Tears of the Kingdom is coming out. You've got a new Zelda. We want to help spread the word. Could you do a, a room set in Yeah, Hyrule? you're right. Like, that would like do it. An escape room that is one of the little shrines from Breath of the Wild. We're like, yes, done. Stuff where we get to play with an IP to advertise something new from that would be the best. If someone's God of War Ragnarok is coming out, can you have a room where you're like in an escape room? You've been locked in by a Norse god and you and your boy must try and solve it. And you're like, great. If you don't have any money, but you're just like a small indie studio that wants to promote a game. Oh, we totally do that. We'll just do it for fun. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys mentioned solve this murder earlier. And this is, again, an audio podcast where it's more of like a narrative story and you're trying to solve a murder and there's no puzzles. There are no puzzles explicitly. There is only the puzzle of how to solve a murder mystery. Murder. They said this and they said this, but how could that have been true? If I found this, the note implies someone must have been here, but they said this. And I'm pretty sure he hates him. But then again, I only have this guy's word for it. It's that sort of a puzzle. That is a lot of fun. That is an interesting show to listen to if you listen from the beginning. Because when it starts, I think there's going to be puzzles because I'm playing as the detective. And it takes me a while to get out of escape this podcast mode and into solve this murder mode. There's two different types of murder show or crime shows. And I think for a while I was trying to play it like it was a... Law and order-esque procedural. Procedural, where it's usually the structure of a procedural is we interview this person. He says some weird thing that makes you interview this person. They say some weird thing that makes you interview this person. They say some weird thing that makes you look at this location where you find a Mm. piece of evidence that leads to this person and then you're done. And they're very linear. And I was looking for a more linear structure while Danny was creating a far more open Agatha Christie style. There are eight people. Each of those eight people has something to say about the other seven people. Cross-reference them all in a big mesh and figure out who did the murder. Uh, More like murder mystery kind of style. Exactly. And it's a very subtle thing, but it explains some of my difficulty early on. It's still very fun to listen to the whole way through. And now recently I've been writing the murder mystery as well. Danny played the last big murder mystery that I wrote. We've done a couple public domain. like So we've done The Mysterious Affair at Styles and we've done Murder on the Links where I hadn't read the books. So Danny converted the books into this form of gameplay and I was Hastings trying to solve alongside Poirot. So it's a different format that is, if you like Escape This Podcast, you will like Solve This Murder. It's us. It's having fun. We're playing these games. There's a lot of that same feeling of like, you might have cracked some of the codes and you're yelling at me like, what are you doing? Or you're yelling at Danny like, talk to this person. It's very engaging. It's very fun. And it gets more and more fun every time we do it because... We're learning. Right. Because again, this was something we had never seen anyone do. Some like TV shows out there like, oh, this actor is going to solve this murder. But they are usually more like an escape room. They're like... Here are the four things. Can you solve this fairly minor puzzle at the end? And it's more about the fun of just being silly. Whereas ours is a very earnest attempt, a very real and earnest attempt to solve a murder mystery that is as complicated and as difficult to solve as the things that Poirot solves, as the things that any like book detective And solves. it turns out when the detective is not written by the same author as the murder, it is yeah. very difficult for them to solve. Yeah. How does Poirot know the questions to ask? Because Agatha Christie is writing the book. She just knows the right <laughs> questions and has him ask them. I don't know the right questions. I'm going to figure that stuff out. This was my problem playing Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which is a game that I deeply love. But every time I play it, I have a really good time. And then at the end, they tell you, 
how many steps it would have taken Sherlock to solve this. What? And it's just impossible. I'm reading this and I'm like, none of this would hold up in court. There's so (laughs) much assumption. This is garbage. Every time I play that game, I feel great. And then every time I read that end state stuff, I'm just like, no, I'm done. I hate this. But this is the classic thing with a lot of these things where it's like, they'll show you the fastest path and the fastest path only can happen if you're bad at the game, right? It's like there were two choices to make and one of them is the more logical choice. It is always the right choice to make. But in this case, it was wrong. You should have done the other thing. Well, and an investigation is about being thorough. Exactly. (laughs) Sherlock's not thorough. Hey, everybody, Sherlock Holmes, bad detective. Look, he's a drug-addled Probably a narcissist. The guy has got a lot of problems. We and we shouldn't be glorifying him. <laughs> but yeah, so that's a much harder, that's a much harder format of a show, but it's so fun. And those are engaging mysteries. We invite the audience to write in and be like, here's who I think did it. Here's what I think's going on. And we crown a detective of the arc at the end of every mystery, but who had the best guesses the earliest on. And that's been really fun for people being able to engage with the story. It is just enjoyable. It's very different, but also very similar. It requires requires an awful lot of trust in whoever has written the mystery, which so far has mostly been me, and I don't feel I have earned that whatsoever. (laughs) I wrote one and and you played it, and I thought that went quite well. It did, it did, because I trust you. But (laughs) yeah, coming up with a satisfying mystery that can culminate in the detective feeling good and feeling clever like they solved a thing It's incredibly difficult. Mm. And when the detective has freedom of movement in such a way that you don't necessarily have an escape room, which are a lot more controlled, giving it satisfying narrative completion is painfully hard. Yeah. The fundamental core of that show is that it is real and it is earnest. We are not skipping steps. We're not being like making a very clear, easy ABC path to follow. We are just building a mystery where we know what is true and then most of the progression and the choosing who to talk to and choosing what to look at and choosing is all done by the player who doesn't know anything about the mystery, which leads to some very fun stuff. Uh, But trying to get to the denouement at the end where you're like, you, sir, you said that, you know, this happened, but I know that you could never have been there because it was actually you and you did this. And getting that moment is so fun to do and so hard to construct when you're at the end of a murder, like, wait a minute, wait, do I have every thread? Have I tied everything up? Do I know what everyone was doing? Can I do a denouement? And then you can. And it's so much fun. But it's a hard show. It's great, though. So you are already so insanely prolific with the number of podcasts that you put out. And you've also managed to create Gateways, which is a tabletop oh, yeah. role-playing game. where Everything is solved using portals. And I got to play. It really reminds me of one of my favorite fantasy novels called The Redemption of Althalus by David Eddings. A lot of portals in that or like the mechanics in Doctor Strange. So what was your inspiration behind this game? This is all Bill, by the way. I had no input into the creation of this. (laughs) Honestly, my biggest inspiration for the game was just playing Portal and Portal 2, both fantastic games where you are solving puzzles using portals. And I went, well, I won't call them portals, I'll call them gateways. But I added a lot more capacity for theming. It's a fun little game. It's very easy to play. It's a very simple rule set. I streamed them live. So you were one of those games with a bunch of different people. I can't remember who was in yours. The host of New Zealand Taskmaster. Yes, and oh, Paul Williams. Paul hosted, and yeah, the, the Alex Horn of New Zealand Taskmaster. They're also on our Escape This Podcast feed somewhere. Or at least I edited them down and released them there as well. 
yeah, it was just, I wanted to have a simple mechanic that was fun to play that you could whip up in a single session and it worked quite well. You can make a portal, you can either make it as a little hole to step through, you can make it as a point A to point B that you can see, teleport from here to here, or you can make it as teleport anywhere you've ever been before. And each of those is riskier and riskier. And at any point, the portal can go wrong and turn into something weird. One of the first games I streamed of it, somebody ended up going through a portal and they came out in the same location, but 20 years in the future. And the rest of the entire game, one group of people, actually, this happened yours as well. I believe you and Gabe ended up 20 years in the future. Yes, we did a party split. So a lot of this comes down to improv on the Game Master's part, because I was having you experience things that were the result 20 years in the future of stuff the other people had done but you had seen them before the other group had done it. So then when I went back to them, they had to somehow justify doing a thing that could lead to something else 20 years in the future. It was very strange. But it's just a, it's a fun, silly sort of format for a game. It's immediately easy to jump in and enjoy. You pick a few basic characters in a setting, and they're always based on a MacGuffin. It's always like you are trying to get something. I think the tagline for the game is using interdimensional portals to pull off a heist, and it changes and. There's always a threat. There's always something you're looking for. And it's just smooth and easy and fun to play. That's free if anyone wants it. There's a link on our website at consumethismedia.com. You can find a link to Gateways and you can listen to it on Escape This Podcast. It was great fun to make. I think there were a couple of things that you were going for with that. Because one that you always talk about with RPGs is, can you use different mechanics that are not just the dice control absolutely every element of something? Mm. This one does still have dice, but... It's a lot more about consequence tables. Oh, man, I love a good table look. So do I. When I started playing, <laughs> I'm talking about something different now. When I started playing RPGs, I've been playing tabletop role-playing games since I was 14 years old. And I've only ever played Dungeons & Dragons twice, maybe three times, three individual sessions in that entire time. But the game I started with was a game called Merp, which is defunct. It was out of print by the time I played it. It's Middle-earth role-playing made by Iron Crown Enterprise. And I always describe it now, a bit tongue-in-cheek, as a table lookup RPG, which is every time you do a thing, you roll dice, you find out the number you've got, and then you check it out on a table with like, this is the type of action I'm doing, and this is the type of result that I got, and you get a result, a little box that says, here's what you did. And I really have fallen in love with it as a structure. So if I can add a table in any RPG that I make, I will. And in Gateways, there's a table for every time you make a portal and you roll a one, the portal will corrupt in some way. And there's a whole little table you can roll on to see how it goes wrong, which is anything from being 20 years in the future to you come out of the portal with a fun new hat, or you come out of the portal, <laughs> but you're a baby now, or you and there's all, all these weird things, or you open the portal instead of you being able to go through, just water starts coming out. Just lots of water. Just you've opened the portal, but you accidentally opened it to an ocean somewhere and that, water is just yeah. coming out. That was out my playtest game. Yeah, Danny, great. when we playtested it, Danny the opened a, a big portal in the area, used it as a distraction. And then right at the end of the game, she was in a room trying to get stuff to happen. And I was like, suddenly you hear like a boom, 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 boom against the door and it burst open and water just flooded in because it's been going the whole game. You never turn it off. There's been water flooding this entire place. And so it changed the tone there. It's always great to do stuff like that. It's really good. The ones that you came up with for that were pretty dire consequences, which I think is what you need for a one-page RPG mm. to make them go in different directions and not have it be the same game yeah, every time. exactly, right. Is there anything else that you would like to promote? Any other projects you're working on? Ooh, I don't think there's anything that's at a promotable level of being worked on. Obviously, everyone should go listen to Escape This Podcast. Go listen to Solve This Murder. On our Twitch channel, I've been practicing my Link to the Past randomizer speedruns, so I could use all the encouragement I can get. 
Yeah, so we do have, watch that. Yeah, you can go to twitch.tv slash play this game underscore live where we do live playthroughs of fun games. You can go back to our archives where we played every single Nancy Drew game, which was a huge amount of fun. Watch us get angry. Bill cuts out any anger that we might have on our podcast. But you get it But live. not so much on our Twitch videos. Well, we play puzzles and go, this is a terrible puzzle. <laughs> and then, yeah, and back on Twitch now, we took a bit of a break after finishing all the Nancy Drews, but Danny's been doing Link to the Past randomizers, the 1990 whatever version of Zelda Link to the Past, and then they change where all of the items are, so you have to play it completely differently every time and do the final dungeon third and do the last dungeon second and all this other weird stuff. And for our listeners who don't know, they have also very generously made all of their Escape This Podcast games available for free for you to play on their website. And it's got the entire game, all of the notes, the script. It's super meticulous and they make it really easy for you to then game master for your friends at home. So if you want to run any of these, they're available on their website. Please do pick some of the later ones. People keep running the early season rooms and I think (laughs) they're fine, but oh boy, I would like to think I've gotten better. But yeah, if you want to, as long as someone's willing to take on the role of Danny and run the room, you can play them all for free. They're great fun. We have people who've been playing entire arcs, people who've been going through all of Descent of the Culladins or Children of My Cyrus with their friends playing 10 rooms in a row. It's great fun. And yes, they're all free in the show notes of every episode or on our website. It's consumethismedia.com. Okay. Listeners can find you on consumethismedia.com. And where else can they find you on social media if they would like to follow you? You can usually just search for Escape This Podcast. I think we're at Esk This Podcast on Twitter and we're on Instagram. But the best thing, if you want to hang out and talk to us and see more of what's going on, every new episode has a link to our Discord. You can join the kind of Consume This Media Discord server and we're always there. That's good fun. They're good people there. It's the best kind of social media because I don't have to see anybody else who isn't a fan of the show. It's great. But that's the easiest way if you want to Not having to engage with wider Twitter is pretty sweet. Oh, it's wonderful. (laughs) Oh, Danny and Bill, thank you so much for joining us. This really has been a pleasure. You had provided so much inspiration for us starting this show and also a lot of really good advice before we pulled the proverbial trigger on it. So... I have wanted to grow the show enough that we could have a little bit more of an audience that might not have heard of you before we invited you on. And it's great to finally do that. Ah, anytime. Yeah, it was great fun. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira. Music by Ryan Elder of RyanElderMusic.com. Edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media. And brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Our Patreon is the backbone. It is the foundation. It is the thing that allows us to put in all of the time, care, and money that we invest into creating podcasts like this and all of the daily content that Room Escape Artist creates. David and I have put a lot of work and thought into creating really awesome content for our Patreon supporters. Backing us at the $5 level gets you access to the RIA Discord. We have really fun conversations, discussions about escape rooms, immersive experiences, and more. And it also gets you access to our bonus show. 
This is a companion show to our main episode, and it's usually a more casual chat with our guests and each other. These episodes are pretty long. They're another 40 to 60 minutes. So if you can't get enough of our content, you can get more of it here. And we also tend to get a little bit looser here as well. If you have been enjoying this podcast, we would really appreciate a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It doesn't cost you anything, but it really helps us spread the word about Reality Escape Pod. Thank you to our highest level Patreon backers. Breakout Games, Derek Tam, Olivier Escape, Escapism, Escaparium, Panic Room, Byron Delmonico, Josh Rosenfeld, Paula Swan, Rex Miller, Scott Olson, and the Ministry of Peculiarities. Thank you all so much for your ongoing support. Okay, my story is we as a pair love to do escape rooms as a pair. It's quite fun to go and do two people in an escape room. And often escape rooms are designed for four people, five, six. So doing them as a pair is fun and challenging and engaging. And once we got to a room and it was designed for two. We thought, oh, well, that's no fun. Doing a pair in a room that's designed for two, that'll be too easy. We've got to handicap ourselves. And so we decided before going in that we would do the entire room in pure silence and never talk, never say any words, do the whole thing completely silent and see if we could get out. It was a lot of miming, a lot of charading, a lot of picking up objects and going. I had a prop mm. fall on my head. Things fall, and she couldn't see. She couldn't scream because there was <laughs> oh, no it was my fault entirely. We had a lot of fun. I'm sure it made it difficult for the game masters to know what was going on, and I think actually it helped us because it made us stop making dumb jokes, and we set the record for the room. 